Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello everyone, Reese Tiefertiller, Dad Jeff with Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing? What's going on, guys? It's you great. We can finally make this happen. And you you reached out, uh, you know, about you know five or six weeks ago, and you guys are kind of coming through the air, and you were talking about doing this podcast and reached out and you know my schedule is kind of always wonky and you know we finally were able to do it so I'm glad we finally got to make it happen uh because you know when when you posted the book of, of that Reese put out I was really excited because I have a son that's right around his age he's 15 uh you know so I was really excited to check it out and you know I was talking to you a little before the show and you know just as a parent you know always a, in that ballpark of age you just are really hoping that they find that groove just something that you know they're willing to be passionate about you know invest themselves fully into and you know Reese you really came across when I was reading this that you put a lot of yourself into it you know you could I could tell that you were genuine about the process and you really cared about the work you were doing and that showed up immensely so I mean uh, I made sure to throw you a little review uh, got the book myself you know checked it out but uh, it, it's great that you're doing this and I'm glad that you found an itch and like I said I mean you got to have a proud dad over there <laughs> Rich was the first review. I don't know if there's been any since, but we appreciate Rich's uh, love because Rich and I have been playing in leagues for years. First time to meet him, see him, great guy, great, great guy on Twitter, especially because you you survive the Twitter ugliness so easily. I don't know how you do it, but you just kind of glide on through. I don't, I don't feel I don't feel that way all the time. I'm glad that you that, that it looks that way. <laughs> I doesn't feel that way always. Definitely not in like a Mike Clay Evan Silva zone, but I definitely feel like I get uh, my fair share of backlash as well uh, on the internet. Oh yeah, you just have to. So there's one coming out that I I could. So you you live in the Ohio area, and we came through a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. a couple months ago, on our way to the hall, and I hit you up. It was bad timing, all that sort of thing, but. Uh, getting around to say there's a thing football guys about take a stand on an over under on a team uh, win total. The one that looked obvious to me was the uh, Browns in your backyard. There's no way to me that they win eight and a half. Like there's, I just can't, that's off my spectrum of abilities. Can you tell me I'm wrong? I'm okay being wrong. No, not really. I think for win loss total, I mean that's. I think they're probably around there, like in anywhere from like that seven to nine range, probably around like a mid-average team. I just think that the defense is a big problem, and they're starting to lose pieces on that defense now. You know, they dealt it getting the Achilles. It looks like uh, uh, they're going to be out. Mac Wilson's going to miss time. I didn't see what Greedy Williams is the extent of his injury was, and and then they've got really shoddy depth. You know, in the front seven, their linebackers are already bad. They already were planning on playing three safeties anyways uh kind of as like a base defense so I mean the defense isn't going to be good uh and then we you know we've got a lot of continuity issues bringing over a new coaching staff uh new system altogether. I think that they'll protect the football and be a little more efficient on offense this year but it's a tough division I mean they're not better than the Ravens they're not better than the Steelers I think the Bengals take a step forward this year it's it, I think they're right in that ballpark so I mean they're a team that easily I, I think that that's easily you know you can go kind of and say like yeah I think that they could be more towards the seven side and play for the under uh, win total there because like it's, it's a rough division yeah plus they play uh they play the eagles cowboys and titans in those three in the texans and you know it just didn't seem like that reese you got a question for rich you mentioned their efficiency with the new coaching staff do you think we will see the 2018 version of baker mayfield or the 2019 version 
Uh, definitely probably, like I said, a little somewhere in between. I mean, uh, if you look at Baker, it's like his, his red zone splits were just so night and day for where he was as a, you know, rookie quarterback into a second year. It's where he took like the biggest hit. Um, and then, you know, taking sacks in the red zone as well. That's was like where all of his like efficiency really sagged off. But he was still really good, you know, in play action. And we know we're going to get a lot of play action from that, you know, Gary Kubiakian offense. You know, they're going to run a lot of, you know, probably, you know, 12 personnel. They're going to run a lot of 21 personnel. They obviously don't even have really a lot of good wide receiver depth to even really trot three wide receivers out. Uh, and then that's what they did with Kirk Cousins. Uh, and, you know, Baker was still good. Where he was good was in the play-action game last year still, too. You get him on rollouts, he was still good outside of the pocket. What hurt him last year was definitely, you know, that, that offensive line, you know, both those tackles. I mean, you know, they, they were – they allowed combined the fifth most pressures in the NFL. You replace both those guys. Uh, you know, with, you know, you get the, you get the rookie um, in there and then you get, uh, you know, Conklin brought over from Tennessee. So you get a little more protection. You get upgrade. Now their offensive line depth is, is pretty thin. So if they lose anybody here, you know, in this, in this COVID season or, you know, if just injuries are heightened, you know, that could be a problem down the line. But uh, I definitely believe that, you know, they'll be more efficient because they're just going to be able to rein it in a little bit more, you know, just protect the football, use play action, use brawl passing. I think Odell takes a step forward from where his fall off was last year. I mean, just talk about a guy that had everything go wrong for him. It was Odell Beckham last year. He played the sports hernia injury. Um, he had some self-induced play, you know, career high 11 drops. Uh, he ran into the toughest cornerback schedule in the NFL, and the Browns actually had the toughest passing schedule in the NFL. This year they have at Sharp Football. Uh, you know, a top three passing schedule by our metrics, uh, you know, granted, you know, I only like to look at that stuff for the front of the year. There's too much volatility to look wire to wire at that stuff. Uh, but so, you know, just everything kind of went well, uh, went wrong for like Odell Beckham and then that Browns passing game last year. You get like a nice little security blanket and Austin Hooper back. Uh, you know, you got a full season of, you know, Kareem Hunt coming out of the backfield. I think that they're just going to rein in the efficiency, probably not as many pass attempts. Um, and, you know, just kind of use, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield in, in the, you know, hyper, more hyper-efficient way than, you know, Freddie Kitchens and the rumors that was they had no game plan uh, at all. You know, Monken's even come out and kind of said, like, hey, we, you know, I basically was just like a figurehead last year. I didn't do anything. They didn't listen to anything I said. Uh, we came into games without a game plan. So, I mean, I definitely don't think that will be the case this year. But I am curious to see just how much rollover, you know, from the Vikings takes place. Because, you know, Count Stancy's only called plays in the NFL for 21 games. We know what kind of scheme he wants to run. Like you said, you know, kind of you know, Gary Kubiak lineage. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things that the Vikings did last year were kind of out of necessity. I mean, you, you have Adam Thielen only play 40% of snaps. You're down to just one receiver because your wide receiver depth is completely exposed. They had none. I mean, they're starting a rookie, old B.C. Johnson, outside of Stephon Diggs. Uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph has been always like a, you know, a catch and fall tight end. They got Irv Smith as a rookie tight end. We always know the slow burn there. Uh, and then, so they really had to run their offense through two players. And that's why, you know, the Vikings had the splits that they did. You know, I don't want to retrofit, uh, you know, a head coach that only has a 20 game sample size of calling plays, especially in a climate that was kind of induced by only being able to get the ball to a couple players. Now the Browns don't have a, a wealth of offensive talent, but they do have, um, a little more surface area count than that 2019 Vikings team did have. So I'm curious just to see how much exactly rollover there is from Stefanski's, you know, splits. And then obviously I don't think the Browns are going to lead for 47% of their snaps like the Vikings did a year ago. Uh, so, I mean, I, def I definitely am curious to see if there are a little more pass heavy. Um, and if you look at the Vikings in general last year, 
they were, you know, in, in neutral game script, they were eighth in the NFL in pace and snaps per play. So I'm curious to see if they do have a little more tempo than that Vikings team did have as well. So I know that was a long tangent on a lot of different things, but I do think that uh, Baker Mayfield would be kind of uh, in the middle. My problem with Baker for fantasy is he doesn't run. You know, you're not getting any, any – no ability. See, so we already know he's not going to be a high-volume passer. So if you're not a high-volume passer, what do you have to be? Be hyper-efficient if you're not going to run. And um, for me, he just doesn't offer, uh, you know, enough. I think he'll have weeks where we can stream him in pro- positive matchups, but he's not going to be one of these wire-to-wire QB1 types that I believe people thought he was going to be heading into last season. So I'm going to pile on something that I say way too often, Rich, is Lincoln Riley doesn't get enough credit and Murray <laughs> – Mayfield and Hurts gets way, they get way too much credit. You know, well, Spencer Rattler's coming too. It's <laughs> right. But I just meant, I meant those were reclamation projects. You know, Jalen Hurts was a thrown, nobody thought he would even be a second round pick when he left Alabama. And they were all transfers. Yep. Mayfield was in <laughs> Texas Tech, you know, with Davis Webb and Mahomes said, I don't like it here. Let's just, you know, go walk on at Oklahoma or whatever. And, Kyler Murray gets run out of A&M with Kyle Allen leaving at the same time. I just meant Lincoln Riley made those guys look good, and and jury's still out. So the the one setup I was remiss. Rich is a number crunching analytics star for sharp football, and so I I was really happy. Was it last year that you and Warren? took up the mantle together and you guys do great work. So I wanted to make sure I threw that out there early. Reese and I love, uh, love the stuff that you guys put out just because it, it looks at things from a different angle. You know what I mean? Like, like you mentioned uh, the context with Minnesota last year, Ola BC Johnson now is a starter, you know, if for the Vikings, <laughs> I think it's Justin Jefferson's going to be the three. But we still have to figure out what are they going to do and how much, of, how much is Stefanski bringing with them, and, you know, to Cleveland. So Reese has been one of those guys that has looked at Stefanski last year. How do you think he's going to bring uh, that run heavy to Cleveland? I do think he will, and I also kind of hope he does <laughs> because I've been on the Chubb train and he's been on the Hunt train. I've been on the Kareem Hunt, you know, for a – Fifth, sixth round rookie uh, redraft pick, I think, is is very valuable because he and Chubb finished pretty even last year, you know, on a points per game. And we all forget how good Hunt was in KC. Rich, I don't know if you're on that train too, but if Hunt was still on case in KC, we would be talking about him higher than we're talking about Chubb right now. That's my that's my stake. You, I mean. It, I mean, I, I, I think that Kareem Hunt's a, a tremendous talent. I mean, it's, it's tough because I think Chubb is actually kind of undervalued at this stage uh, just because, you know, obviously the, the touchdown regression that's going to, you know, take hold. He's, he's definitely a guy that's going to be used, used inside the five probably. I mean, you look at Kareem Hunt, he only had two carries inside the five. Those are different staffs, so we don't really know. I, I mean, Chubb's a guy that you think is going to probably get first crack at those carries, you know, convert them more at a higher rate, more towards like his rookie season rate. But you think about Nick Chubb, so he started week seven of his rookie year. So from week seven through the end of last year, only Derrick Henry has more rushing yards than him from that span. And only Christian McCaffrey has Ezekiel had more yards in scrimmage than Nick Chubb. Uh, he's, a, he's a tremendous talent. You know, he's really good after contact. He got an offensive line bonus for him. Uh, you know, you look at last year, even when Cremont came back, his 
team carry share would have been still good for third in the NFL over the full course of the season. I mean, he had 69% of Brown's carries after Kareem Hunt took over. So, I mean, if that is something that can kind of hold, I also think that Nick Chubb, he's going to, his receiving floor is definitely a lot lower. You look at last year, he only had 21 and a half PPR points receiving after Kareem Hunt came after 42 prior half of the season. But I do think he's going to get involved in that screen game a little bit. I mean, you look at Kevin Stansky, what he did with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook averaged almost 10 yards per catch, but had negative air yards on the season. He had negative air yards because he used all those screens. Nick Chubb, could, Nick Chubb can be effective in that used, using that capacity. You know, you get some guys pulling out in front of him. Um, I think definitely if you look back to, I believe it's the Bengals game, it may be the Bengals game and the Dolphins game. I mean, he had two long screen passes. Uh, he's definitely capable of producing in that area, and you get him in space. He's a lot better than you think a bigger back is. Um, you know, he makes a lot of people miss. It's not all just broken tackles like a Chris Carson. Like, is, you know, a guy that's going to have guys bounce off him. But, uh, you know, it all depends on game script for the Browns. I mean, that's, that's the key. I mean, because you could want to do a number of things. The Packers are in this boat, too. Packers are giving us all the, symbol in the signals in the world. They want to run the football. Matt LaFleur wants to run this, you know, Tennessee 2.0 offense that he had. But if this is a team in like Green Bay that they were overachieved. They, they, they had a 13-3 record. They should have been more – they played more like a 9-7 and team. Uh, out of all playoff teams, they, they led for the third fewest amount of snaps. If you want to run the football, you have to have leads late in games. And if the Browns are able to have leads late in games, then that's going to be a problem for Nick Chubb. Um, the problem with Kareem Hunt is just where his cost has gone. Because definitely the upside is there from a projection stance. You say, well, Kareem Hunt's projected this in the split. He can definitely outseed that if there's a Nick Chubb injury or his just role expands. There's, there's room on the bone for him to be a value. But he started to jump up, and now he's in the top 24 running backs in ADP, which is the problem. If you look over history, when we've taken these running back twos on their team uh, in the top 30 running backs in the top 24, it just not it just hasn't worked out. These guys haven't hit. And 2016 was the last time uh, RB2 on their team was a top 24 back. It was Derrick Henry, uh, his first year with DeMarco Murray, and he ended up finishing as the RB36. Um, so over the past decade, uh, there have been 27 different running back twos that have been taken in the top 30 running backs. Uh, just four have been RB1s out of those 27, uh, and just eight have been top 20 score finishers throughout the season. So, I mean, we're really taking Kareem Hunt an area where you're counting on him to have season-long value instead of just four, instead of the time, you know, you don't want to, have, you don't want to run in now to four weeks where Nick Chubb misses time if you have your RB1 for a month like you would have if you take like a Tony Pollard at RB40 and say Zeke misses two games, you've got your RB1, but you're not counting on Tony Pollard where you take him to be an instrumental part of your line of construction. Now where you're taking Kareem Hunt, you're counting on him to be a part of your weekly roster. And that is where I kind of have like some pushbacks. I definitely believe in the upside in Kareem Hunt and the ceiling that Kareem Hunt can get to. But now we've kind of taken the cost to where your weekly on your weekly roster you're counting on him and it's a problem because he could easily be a guy that settles in the eight to 12 touch range. And that's just not a lot of safety. And there's a lot of fragility in those touches. If his, his reception output and his target output is reduced. Because remember he was the third, he was third on the team in targets over that stretch behind Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Well, they added Austin Hooper. And when they signed Austin Hooper, they made him the highest paid tight end in NFL history before these two recent deals for Kidder and Kelsey. Austin Hooper's going to get his targets as well. So, I mean, if Kareem Hunt is a guy that was maybe on like an 85, 88 target pace last year, falls back into like the 65 target pace for the full season, that's going to injure your weekly viability. Uh, and that's kind of where I think that the cost has gotten too far now. I believe, like I said, the upside's there, but uh, 
he's definitely reached a price where I can't take him because I want to take players. Like I can't take him over a guy like DeAndre Swift or something like that that can have weekly viability. And I just think it's gotten too high uh, for Nick, for Kareem Hunt. That's an interesting take because I, I, I agree with you on 95% of that. <laughs> the, uh, the, the two use cases I come to, because you can tell I live in the world of IT, so I think of use cases. One was uh, Ingram with Camara, mm-hmm. similar, the uh, roles reversed. And the other was, and now I'm going way back into you and I's fancy history, was Larry Johnson and Priest Holmes, where you know that offense was so productive. Now, I don't think Cleveland's going to be that productive of an offense, but I do think that game script, if it goes south for the Browns, will be positive for Hunt, not Chubb. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, if we can get the Browns to be, you know, the the 2017 Saints, then yeah, there's there's a lot of room of room for that uh, for both those guys, you know, kind of be effective. Uh, and you know, um, yeah, maybe we run into one of these seasons where you know you have a guy. Because I mean, it's not when you talk about these RB twos over history. It's typically not a guy in the prime of his career that was producing at RB one level, and you know, circumstantially was it forced in this position that he's in now I mean, it's self-induced I don't don't I'm not trying to make an excuse for cream hunt either um but yeah I mean it's typically not one of these guys it's either typically a rookie we believe can elevate uh you know or a hanger on and cream hunt definitely doesn't fall into that category either yep so that that brings up Dobbins right because Dobbins has to be considered in the same thought process right yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy for me, though, myself, uh, to look at Mark Ingram's situation, though, and just look at how far, you know, just – well, first, you, the Ravens are interesting, you know, case anyways. We can just, we can just start with the Ravens in totality, uh, the team regression that they'll have. I mean, this is a team that scored on 50%, 57% of their drives last year, uh, which matched the 2007 New England Patriots, the most efficient scoring offense per drive uh, in NFL history. Uh, you know, teams that have scored on over 50% of their drives, uh, the average loss of touchdown reduction is 14 per team. So just the Ravens in general are going to score fewer touchdowns than they scored last year, just inherently. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to be a bad offense. You know, if you look at like the Chiefs were in this boat, to, you know, uh, 2018 coming in 2019, and they scored, you know, fewer touchdowns last year, but they weren't like a, they didn't, the regression didn't make them a bad offense. People hear the word regression and think like it's boogeyman, you got to run away. It's just providing context that, you know, this is how hot the Ravens ran last year it's not that they're going to regress to being a bad offense it's just that they're going to regress from being this you know unholy entity you know that just can't be stopped you know so you look at mark ingram he's a guy that really benefited uh so you look at mark ingram's actual usage uh just 15 touches per game he was 24th at the position in touches per game lived off of touchdown production specifically got really fluky in the receiving game he had five receiving touchdowns on just 29 targets. Uh, definitely don't believe that that's something that's going to be sticky. Uh, you know, but the thing about Mark Ingram, I think that he, he he's just loved in the locker room. I mean, you can see he's infectious. He's the guy that they're always bringing up to the podium after the game. The teammates love him. I doubt that, you know, he's just going to go from being, uh, you know, a guy getting 15 touches a game and just referring to not being used. I don't think we'll have like a situation where Dobbins completely runs him out this year. But like I said, you know, Ingram's, going to be 31 years old in season uh, definitely is got he's he's due regression you know especially those receiving touchdowns wasn't getting a lot of touches already last year per game uh, as many as people think especially where his you know scoring output was for fantasy um, and then they just on a team level they're going to come back down to earth so I mean it's really hard for me to invest in a guy like Ingram um, even where his depressed costs I would probably rather be able to take a shot on Dobbins' upswing and hope that maybe at the end of the year he could be like this year's version of Miles Sanders 
Uh, but we know they're not going to throw the ball to running backs a lot. That's just who really kind of what Lamar Jackson is anyways, these mobile quarterbacks. I mean, there's just not going to be a lot of passing upside, I think, for Dobbins. And then he's going to be in a timeshare as well. The upside's definitely there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just more I'm interested in really just avoiding Mark Ingram. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Well, the, the reason why you I like Dobbins a lot this year is maybe not because of the regression, but because – of how much volume the Ravens rushing offense has. You mentioned how there's no, not a lot of uh, Ravens targets go to running backs because Lamar is such a mobile uh, quarterback, but Dobbins didn't really get that many targets at Ohio State. It was more of a, mm-hmm. let's get just get one cut and get to the open field. And Dobbins fits perfectly with their Ravens run, stream, uh, run scheme. And oh, yeah. the beat riders have been, harping all over Dobbins making saying he's showing up highlights every day and if he's showing up highlights every every day in practice he could get the ball a lot more than what people are saying especially when there's 600 rushing attempts in the Ravens offense 600 is that including Lamar that is including Lamar without it's like 420 420 for the running back still a lot to go around Oh, yeah. And the, the thing with uh, Dobbins, too, I mean, we talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and uh, what a scheme fit it was for him, the boost he got going to Kansas City. But, I mean, I think you can make a similar case for Dobbins as well, and you brought up the scheme that they ran at Ohio State. Uh, Dobbins in college had the most carries of any back coming in this prospect class out of shotgun and, and RPO runs, uh, and the Ravens were first in both categories last year, obviously, you know, playing with Mark Jackson. So the scheme fit is just as good. I just, you know, obviously – from a fantasy stance, we love when guys catch a bunch of passes and like Clyde edwards went to like the legit spot to where, you know, uh, his head coach has unlocked using backs in the passing game effectively. So that kind of gives him a little boost. But I think you can really make the case that for Dobbins' skill set, he went to a perfect marriage, almost as good as Clyde edwards fit for, you know, his, you know, style of play. Yeah. What are your stickiest stats year over year for like doing your projections and stuff? Um, well, I mean, I just, uh, what, a week ago, I put out a series of, you know, the, the stickiest stats for each position uh, on a weekly per game individual basis and then per season. So, I mean, you know, obviously it varies from position to position. Uh, but, uh, you know, so what, what position do you kind of want to start with or do you have just one you want to drill down into that we can? Uh... Let's toss it to you, man. You're the guest. You get to choose. Which one? Well, I mean, what what do you want to hear about? <laughs> Definitely, probably not quarterbacks, right? No one cares about quarterbacks. So we had Scott Barrett on, and he thinks uh, I think it was Scott, not Graham. Those two back to back, so I get him confused. You know the bars, but uh, Scott said that <laughs> quarterbacks were efficiency, running backs were on snap counts. Uh, yes. You know, volume is key, things of that nature. I'm, I, I'd love for you to say yeah. he's wrong. So I can put out on Twitter that Rich <laughs> No, no, no. Scott, Scott's usually right. I mean, everything. So anytime you want to look at, like, for rolling over stats that happened last year into this year, the first thing you want to focus on that is the stickiest, uh, that Lee has the highest influence of staying the same, and then impacting following your scoring is per game data uh, over these bulk stats. So, I mean, that's where you can try to work in, like, you know, some of your injury discounts, some of your missed time. Uh, and some of your factors that's why a guy like Mark Ingram so we look at like his per game usage so you we always run into these variant seasons you know touchdowns change a lot in fantasy football so if you have a guy that ran hot in touchdowns 
Um, but his usage didn't line up. I mean, that's how you're able to outkick that opportunity. You know, he scored a bunch of touchdowns. Granted, Aaron Jones is in a similar way. You know, Aaron Jones is only 14th among running backs in touches per game. But, you know, you become the second highest scorer by not missing any games and scoring 19 touchdowns. Uh, so it's, re- you know, really easy to inflate your fantasy that way. And that's what Mark Inger was. So we want to focus on these per game stats first. So when you look at these per game stats that are stickiest touches per game, rushing attempts per game, yards from scrimmage per game. Then you got your PPR points, your standard, your half point PPRs all stay the game, stay the same. Receptions are all good. All those are like 45% and up, like uh, have influence on like following your stats and in that same category, uh, rollover into the year, stickiness, uh, so to speak. This on, even per game uh, touchdowns drop off. Uh, way back but it's like more like 25 uh, like 25 percent of last year's touchdowns make up what you scored per game the following season and then touchdowns on a season level are even lower than that so any really anything scoring related touchdown related and that's the throughout every position uh, is really the the least to catch on to so I mean it's really got to be cognizant of these fantasy seasons that were influenced by high touchdown totals. Uh, and it's definitely where I, I found like in your home leagues, you can take advantage of because a lot of people think about just like, well, that guy scored a bunch of points last year. I want him. And you don't think about how he scored his points. Um, that's typically where you can see some of these guys be overdrafted, you know, the following season. Cause you know, there's just a lot of variance in touchdowns on a team level, a player level. Um, then when you get in the running back position, I mean, you figure running back touchdowns, uh, you know, 40% of all rushing touchdowns are scored just in on four yards of the field. You know, of all NFL rushing touchdowns, are just scored from the one to four yard line. So, what do you have to do to get there? Your offense has to be there first. Your offense has to be on those yard lines. I mean, you see, you look at a guy like Aaron Jones. He led the NFL um, in in carries from the one and two yard line uh, last season. So, I mean, what if just the Packers don't get to the one or two yard lines? You know, it's much many times this year. That's going to bring it down inherently. You know, just opportunity based. Uh, so, I mean, you definitely want to those per-game stuff. Definitely kind of – you want to fade touchdown stuff. There definitely are guys that are better touchdown scores than others, but you don't want to overinflate guys that ran hot in the touchdown total or depress too many guys that ran cold, uh, you know, in converting touchdowns that we brought up with Nick Chubb earlier. Uh, you don't want to definitely suppress those guys either. Quarterback's interesting because a lot of people think of, like, quarterback as the safest position. And I've done a couple articles recently that kind of shows that actually quarterbacks like one of the more volatile positions and one of the worst to invest in early, you know, and we say that all the time, you know, Hey, you know, take your quarterbacks late, but it's, it's, we still have such a long way to go. I mean, we still have two quarterbacks being taken in general population leagues in the second round this year, the average QB one is still going at the two, three turn. That's way too early still when you factor in opportunity costs. Now, Jeff, you play in a lot of these super flex leagues and that changes the dynamic, but in these just regular home leagues with these, you know, what start one quarterback and you're starting two running backs, three receivers, the opportunity cost is just far too great for these guys to be considered that high. Um, and then when you look at just how good we are at drafting the quarterback position, it's by far the, the position we are the worst at. Because when you think about it, it's the most that's impacted by touchdowns, you know, and, and that touchdown efficiency. Um, you know, you run hot in touchdowns, you boost your stats, you know, you know, high touchdown rates passing. You look at Lamar last year. We thought he had a great rushing floor. You got that. But they can, can, when it comes to 36 touchdowns, the roof is blown away. Uh, you know, we've seen it, you, you know, those touchdowns kind of oscillate, and revert back, revert back and forth. Um, and then when you look at per game levels, uh, you know, quarterbacks in terms of per game correlations are worse than the running backs, wide receivers and tight ends in the things that um, stay the stickiest per game. Uh, for those positions like the highest correlations at quarterback that are significant are like passing yards per game fantasy points per game but they're at a far lower correlation rate 
than it is at those other positions. Um, like I said, just cause it's so influenced by, you know, passing touchdowns, you know, on a weekly level and on a seasonal level, like how many touchdowns you throw in a given season and per week, it's really going to carry your line. Um, and that, like I said, there's just too much volatility there to count on those touchdowns, you know, having one weekly stability or season long stability. You know, that's why these guys like Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, we projecting these touchdowns definitely, you know, come way back to the pack. Or you have a guy like Jared Goff last year who throws for 4,600 yards, only 22 touchdowns. But how does that happen? Well, he had seven passes completed that got tackled at the one-yard line, and not after any of those seven passes did he throw a touchdown pass. They were all, you know, he did sneak one in afterwards, so he got the points for that. But the other six were either Todd Griller, Malcolm Brown touchdowns and one they kicked the field goal. So that's how you just run cold, you know, in the season where you don't put together the scoring line. If Jared Goff has those seven passing touchdowns tacked on to his output from last year with those 4,500 yards, those 4,600 yards yet, he immediately goes into like a mid QB one quarterback where he was the year before, uh, you know, in totality. And we have a totally different view on Jared Goff than we probably do heading into this season um, if those plays happen. So, I mean, it's just one of those things uh, you just kind of, like I said, don't elevate too many guys that uh, ran on the plus end of touchdowns and don't depress too many guys that ran the cold end. So let me jump in. I'm Reese is anxious. So let me jump in on two things. <laughs> the one thing about it is, Last year, most people miss this, but Mahomes was quarterback four, five, six, depending on your scoring on points per game. You know, right. throw away the Matt Moore. I'm not even talking about the Matt Moore starts, but just the games that Mahomes started, his points per game wasn't that great. And that division was horrid, even on the defensive side. And so you're right. Mahomes going at the 2-3 turn versus Dak going in the seventh or whatever – you know, it's, it's pretty easy. And the, one, the one question I had for you on stickiness, and I'll let Reese jump in, is I would think that rushing yards for a quarterback would be somewhat sticky. True. So it, 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 yeah, it, so it's one of the stickiest, but it's one of those things um, where just too many guys don't do it. Right. So it's, it stays sticky because there's so many guys producing this, this lump sum of yards that don't matter. Um, so, you know, I, obviously, you know, I've, I've, I've was one of the people that like was at the forefront of highlighting these quarterbacks that do run and the floor that they provide just the way fantasy scoring is, but you'll never have like a strong correlation pop just because there's not enough guys that do run still. And now more guys are running than ever, uh, three years in a row, uh, NFL quarterbacks have set a new NFL season high in fantasy rushing points that have been generated from the quarterback position, but it's still only made up 14.4% of all quarterback points scored in the league. The guys that are doing it still only make up a small sequitur of the quarterbacks that are still running. We still have way more pocket passers than we do mobility. The difference is now though, with something like the Konami code and its application is it used to be about elevating the floor of these players. So you'd have a guy like a, uh, you know, a, a Tim Tebow or even a Cam Newton for all of his career, except for 2015, you know, the, the reason Cam was always such a high-scoring quarterback, it wasn't, you know, he only, he only finished higher than 18th in passing points uh, per game just once. But, you know, the, the way fantasy is scored, you know, the weight of these rushing yards and these rushing touchdowns, you know, compared to passing production, where, you know, you think a, a point for every 10 yards of rushing, they're still getting that. 
for quarterbacks where it's a point for every 25 yards passing. They're getting the full six points for these rushing touchdowns. It gave these guys a higher floor than, you know, you would assume, you know, just watching football saying that guy's a good quarterback, that's the guy's a bad quarterback. But now it's transitioned to where – and it was always probably naturally going to get to this point, just in the you know, evolution of humanity, that we are going to start to have just more better athletes play the quarterback position. And now these guys can throw too. And you see just where the ceiling goes and you break the bank of fantasy points when you run into these seasons where these runners have these, these high you know, touchdown spike seasons, these in the touchdown rate, or they add on these, this high yardage. I mean, you like Deshaun Watson, you know, has been a top three quarterback in points per game you know, every year of his career. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, the floor he's had now, he's, he's kind of hit that wall where rushing kind of does taper off like for running backs, like at quarterbacks, when you hit like that past 30, like past 30, 31 age, like you start to see this trickle down. It's happened like throughout time. You know, even when you go back to like Michael Vick and Steve Young, like the, like post 30, these guys all ran a lot less. And we've seen that start to happen with Russell Wilson. But, the, you know, Russ is still such a good passer. He's still good, a good fantasy quarterback where we still kind of probably have the jury out on Cam Newton where we're trying to say like, if he's not running this year, if he's not running like he was, like where are we going to be in fantasy? Because he's been so contingent on the, the rushing output for his floor. So it's definitely very sticky, but it's still like there's still a wide gap of too many people don't do it um, versus, you know, just the small little pocket of guys that do. And you saw where Josh Allen said he's running less this year, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Josh Allen, too, is probably one of these guys we can expect to have a little bit of regression. I mean, only Cam Newton through the first two years of his career has more rushing touchdowns than Josh Allen. Josh Allen had the most fantasy points in the NFL from the one-yard line last year. He's kind of like the de facto one-yard goal back. He had four rushing touchdowns from the one, two passing touchdowns from the one. Again, like I said, you have to, what do you have to do to score from the one-yard line? to be there first to be on the one yard line like just that's there's 98 other yards in the football field like it's <laughs> uh so i mean you know there's just easy uh, ways that he can come down and i mean even cam newton never scored eight rushing touchdowns back back years either so yeah. uh you know you, we gotta expect his rushing touchdowns to come down a little bit his scramble rate still stayed pretty much the same i found that scramble rate is pretty sticky uh for quarterbacks uh, like per drop back. So, I mean, if they're going to drop back and throw it, like he still can run around. And he's more of a scrambler than designed run guy either versus Lamar. Because um, the biggest difference between Lamar and Michael Vick is Lamar is a, all, it's all designed runs. Vick was a scrambler. Vick was a guy who was dropping back, making a read and taking off. Uh, where Lamar, he's getting these designed runs. Um, and there's a lot of studies out there too that show that designed runs are actually safer for quarterback injuries uh, than, than, than scrambles. So, I mean, uh, the narrative that Lamar could get hurt. And what's funny is when people bring that stuff up too. Anyways, look at all the quarterbacks that were hurt last year. They're all pocket passers. Wasn't any of these guys running around. Breeze, all the guys that got hurt. Breeze, Roethlisberger. Stafford, all, all these guys, they were all pocket passers. Breeze, yeah, it's, they, it's not these guys that are running around. I mean, these guys typically know how to protect themselves. The one guy who kind of has that Robert Griffith gene is Watson. Like Watson, look, once every two games, Watson makes a play where you're like, man, dude, you should not have, like, you, you got to just go out of bounds or slide, dude. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he's so athletic that it, it just doesn't register to him. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But then you, if you take that away from him, I mean, he doesn't make that play he made against the Bills, you know? all You think of all the plays I say that, you know, it's like, hey, man, slide or give yourself up. And then he won him that game based on that play, you know? But, uh, <laughs> I mean. too, didn't he? What's that? Oh, Josh yeah. Josh Allen I mean, on that game, too, didn't he? Josh Allen is the – he's my – he's the right kind of player for me. He's uh, just fun because he's one of these guys that's always going to be better in fantasy than reality and that, like, irks people. But then he's, like, the 
he's like the right kind of bad to watch. I mean, you think about like, I'm going to throw like a 50 yard nine route to my fullback, or I'm going to lateral it over my head. Uh, you know, it's like, it, you just never know what's going to happen on a play by play basis with Josh Allen. Jeff George. All right. Reese. You, <laughs> you mentioned um, touchdown volatility for both running backs and quarterbacks. Does that mean you're like higher on Fournette than most and lower on Gurley based on their rushing touchdowns from last year? Definitely Gurley. Uh, Fournette's in a really tricky area because not even it's just him, it's and what he did. Also, the team sense. I mean, you look at them, they had 27 offensive touchdowns, 24 were passing. It was the second highest rate uh, since the 2014 Seahawks. Uh, and then we've seen them come back and, you know, they had a lot more rushing touchdowns. So you just say they would inherently score more rushing touchdowns anyways. But then when you look at this just Jaguars team in, in totality, it's just really rough. Uh, you know, they, so they, they are like – people forget the Jaguars were actually competitive at a time last year. I believe they were what uh, – going into week nine, they were four and four. They had the London, um, and they just get waxed by the Texans. And then from that week out, from week nine to week 16, they don't score more than 20 points in any game. They have the largest point differential in the NFL over that span. Um, then they've just completely shedded even more talent this offseason, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, where it's just really hard to think that this can be a competitive team. And they, they're usually neck and neck with the Panthers on like forecasted win totals, depending where you go. Um, so, I mean, it's hard for me to like really buy into that the Jaguars are going to be a good offense too. Like I know they're going to score more rushing touchdowns, but is, does Fournette regress to six touchdowns instead of three, like to seven to where it's like not even a huge number to make a significant difference where regression was still right, but it still didn't end up playing out for fantasy mattering or like does he get back to like can he get the 10 can he get the 12 and I have a harder time getting to that ceiling number I think that like he's gonna probably be like a six to eight guy uh most likely and if and it, so where so then the next question if he only gets a six or eight touchdowns where does the usage fall off for him because also in that span the weeks nine through 16 he was only a top 20 scoring running back in PPR formats one of those games um when they got bad when they got bad, he got bad. And that's, you know, natural. We always are worried about running backs that play for the teams that are really, really that bad. And that kind of caught up to him. You know, granted, if you have a touchdown here or there, it might save a week. Uh, but he's not going to be a guy you're really pinpointing to say he's going to score a touchdown on a weekly basis based on his offensive climate. They do have a good enough schedule, but they're, like I said, they're so bad. I mean, they're not even going to be favored. They're not even, like, if you look at early lines right now, I mean, they're not even favored, like, games against the Dolphins. and teams. Like, teams, it's, like, it's really tough because, uh, like you said, game script is such a driver. And this is a guy that had 100 targets last year, uh, only had 19 total air yards. Uh, he was only catching these tertiary dump-offs. Uh, you know, the, it's not like he was a guy – there's a difference between being able to catch a football and adding value to your offense through the receiving game. He was the former. Like, there's a low baseline for a running back to catch a regular running back target. Like, the degree of difficulty of running back targets is a very low bar to have. So there's a difference between able to catch a football but then add value through the receiving game, and he wasn't doing that. If, they're, if their plan is to give him 100 targets and he's operating on the same level he was last year as in the passing game, that's a gift to the other team. 
you, like that's a waste of 100 targets. You're not getting like you're just giving 100 ineffective targets like through your offense. So I mean, obviously, you know, you your Gruden brings his binky on you know, Chris Thompson, and you know, and Gruden got fired last year. We saw Chris Thompson, you know, openly weep, you know, in the the press conference, you know, that they're how good of friends they are. Now, if Leonard Fournette's only going to share passing snaps with a guy that's only played 16 games once in his career, there are worse guys to share a backfield with. But I mean, Thompson's going to be involved. You look at his target share, even last year. In the games that he played, over the weeks that he played, he was still seventh, uh, you know, at the position in, in targets, uh, you know, in ninth in receptions. So, I mean, he still is a guy that can be on the field and just be a thorn. If Fournette falls to, like, the 60 target range or 60, 65 targets, that changes the whole dynamic for him and his usage last year. Um, but when you look at that backfield, you say, like, there's not a lot of talent here. He can have the usage he had last year. Um, but when I just look at the, the, the context of the team, I just don't know where the ceiling goes. I definitely believe the touchdown regression is going to be there, but he's not a guy I've often bought into drafting. Well, one, because I'm not really taking running backs at that point of the draft, and then just two, I don't know if his regression is going to provide the type of ceiling I really want to pursue there. Does he, is he even on the team by midseason? I mean, that might be a plus for him if he's not. <laughs> you know, this year's Kenyon Drake, he gets out and uh, to a contender. Because you figure if any team is trading for Leonard Fournette, it's probably a team that is in competition. It probably has a better, definitely a better off to the Jaguars, too. Uh, so, I mean, that could be a blessing in disguise if he does get traded. I hear you. Rich, <laughs> you have next up on for Rich. Rich, enjoy this. Enjoy this immensely. You are in some De- Debbie and Dynasty leagues. Do you prefer, who's your favorite Debbie player this year playing college? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on, uh, you know, what kind of league you're in and where you can get. Uh, and if, say, like you're in a Debbie league, like a lot of these guys that are the best Debbie players have long been owned in these leagues, like I'm in with your dad. Uh, so we are operating on, like, tiers below. Uh, but obviously, you know, when you just look at the guys that are going to be, you know, top five probably rookie dynasty picks next year, you know, and it's going to be a really good wide receiver class. And you look at, you know, uh, Jamar Chase, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman. Uh, you know, you can pick out your flavor in that order. Uh, you know, Chris Olave is going to be involved in that mix too. Uh, the top of the running backs are always good. You know, Etienne, uh, Najee Harris, uh, Chuba Hubbard. I mean, those guys are all like, that's going to be like your, you know, uh, you know, top seven, top eight rookie draft picks, uh, barring, you know, whatever guy we get to break out. And I feel bad for these conferences that aren't going to play because, you know, you think about this time last year, if you, if there was no SEC, what happens to Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if they don't play this year? Like, Joe Burrow probably doesn't get drafted. Um, and, you know, granted, not, not, not a lot of guys do break out in their senior season, like the way Joe Burrow bro- broke out. But it's a bummer that these, you know, these, a lot of those seniors in those conferences are going to miss their last chance to kind of, you know, make an impact uh, to try to have a career playing, playing football and impact that. Um, but, yeah, those are the guys, definitely, if you can get a hold of those guys. Uh, Journey Brown uh, is not going to play this year either. He's another guy I really like. Uh, as a running back, you know, Penn State just kind of, you know, cranks out them running backs and them super athletes. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, down the road. Uh, I know your dad has been against me and Kyle Pitts a few times. Uh, you know, the tight end from Florida, if you know you're in these tight end premium leagues. Uh, you know, there's definitely a better tight end class than what we had uh, last year. So Penn State's got the other kid, too, that is the long last name. Um, <laughs> uh, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like all those guys, like Penn State, you know one thing is that all their guys are going to crush the combine. Um, I forget, like, their workout their workout guy, but he's been, like, you know, a lot of stories have been told about just, like, how prepared those guys go into the combine and elevate their draft stock. 
um, and get on the radar because we know like the NFL will overweight that stuff. And all those guys, those Penn State guys go and chill out athletically. Um, so, I mean, yeah, definitely those guys, good quarterbacks. I mean, you know, you got Howell, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. It's really weird that Trey Lance, they're doing that one game for him. I don't really understand the point of that, uh, like this one game showcase they're going to do for him because I think that he's got enough out there and is already regarded by teams um, highly enough to why, why even play the one game. But um, So I don't know why it's that. But it's definitely another good rookie class. Uh, so hopefully we get some more uh, talent infused here into so, the league. Yeah, you mentioned uh, tight end. And so you and I are – we're in a few of those leagues together, right? I'm in five. You're probably in two or three of those with me on the same conference, I think. Mm-hmm. We were bidding for Albert O this time last year. Oh, yeah. And so that gives me a little bit of pause on the tight end. Always. Because <laughs> even the year before that, we were all clamoring for Fant, trying to get him for a buck or two in our de- the auction not knowing that Hawk was coming, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you, we mentioned uh, those two tight ends in next year's class, but there's also uh, the kid at Miami, right? Uh, Brevin Jordan, who mm-hmm. could be there as well. And, or the guy that's uh, transferring from Oklahoma. All I meant though, is those are great upside guys and who knows, right? And <laughs> oh yeah, who knows on those? I, I will say that, Bijan Robinson is a guy who's coming into his freshman year at Texas that I'm very high on. And uh, go for those listening, watching, go look up his his high school stats. They're amazing. But uh, so rich on the Debbie, not that oh, George Pickens too from Georgia. That guy, oh, that yeah. kid is. <laughs> not that you and I have secrets from each other because if anybody asks me, I'd tell them. I don't. You know, oh, yeah. for me, fantasy football is fun. But do you prefer the Debbie guys that? are under the radar, you know, later in their career, like a lot of it was cheap in our Debbie auctions. Or do you like the guys, those really highly recruited incoming freshmen? Because like Eric Gilbert in some of those uh, Debbie auctions went for more than Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I've done a few and I, you know, I've, I've definitely tried, uh, you know, both approaches, you know, getting on, you know, the highest recruits of the year. But uh, I mean, it's, it's such a, uh, you know, there's so much variance in if these kids actually make it, you know, there's a lot goes into, you know, one, them get producing, having the opportunities to produce in college. Um, you know, you talk about it, you know, just get, you get buried behind somebody, uh, you know, just be stuck and have to wait, uh, just not be as productive. And a lot goes into even being good. If you're a good prospect already through college, being good in the NFL, it's a, it's a long, it's a long process. A lot has to go right for those guys to work out. I've started to shift my process just into Devi more just being running back oriented. Uh, trying to just take more running backs in Devi uh, for, cause you know, running backs are, are one they're, If they're good, they're just going to be productive right away. And they're probably going to leave school early. You know, they're really ever just going to be workhorses for four years and stay. Uh, and then they get drafted highly. And then running backs uh, from a rookie stance are more productive than rookie wide receivers. So I kind of shifted into just trying to take swings on running backs and get as much early production as I can. And that's kind of where I've shifted the last couple of years is just investing more into running backs. So I used to be one of these guys that just wanted to get these, these receivers, man. I just wanted these receivers. They're, they're, they're these, these sexy guys that they do fun things. You know, they look like they're built on Olympus. Um, the wide receiver position is just fun. And we know in dynasty anyways, the wide receiver the longevity of the position, uh, you know, pays out. But it's such a long burn to own a Debbie wide receiver and wait for him to one, get to the NFL and then hit in the NFL. Cause it's, you know, typically even if they hit his rookies, it's the back half of the rookie season. 
Uh, but usually it's year two, year three, where these running backs can be good right away. I mean, if you invested in, you know, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Dobbins, you know, these, you're going to get to use these guys out of packaging, uh, which, you know, I like to look for my, you know, rookie picks while I have them. So these W leagues I have kind of shifted and tried to be more running back oriented uh, in recent years. But I've tried a little bit of everything and – from late breakouts to going on rivals and looking at recruiting classes. And it's all, there's, there's a lot of variants in all of them. <laughs> I will say this rich. So when you see my little wannabe uh, banner, that was this young lad sucking on a popsicle. When oh he, really? That's, that's him. When he was a young uh, oh boy. boy. The uh, other thing about receivers is you also have those guys like Tyler uh, Johnson that, that bust, you know, like, or Kelvin Harmon, injuries aside, Hakeem Butler. You know, the one thing that – the all right, I'm speaking truth that, that I don't like saying this out loud because I think it will be used against me. But I, the one thing the Debbie community does not do well is rate a prospect receiver for speed in that – because the NFL teams have a minimal – a minimum threshold of this guy has to be X fast for us to draft him in the top hundred picks. You know what I'm saying? And so we draft these guys and they're, they don't make that threshold. And now they're, they're slipping in the draft and we're like, I can't believe that Hakeem Butler is now on third day three, you know, and Tyler Johnson's probably not even going to be the top three, top four receivers in, uh, in, Uh, Tampa Tampa Bay right you know and I just Preston Williams was everybody's in love with him he goes undrafted anyway Reese you got a that's my soapbox uh, Rich is that it's hard to quantify speed for college receivers when we see him busting on people do you prefer rookie or Debbie assets in those leagues um, it's uh, definitely probably more rookie assets just because, you know, it's more immediate production that, that more people can latch onto. Uh, definitely is it's the, it also holds the most value on its own in, in terms of being able to trade. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you typically have to under, you know, de- a lot of people will take Debbie stuff, but you're not getting as much as you can, uh, for your rookie money or your rookie picks, even in these leagues where some of these rookies have been owned for four years and, you know, our rookie drafts in these leagues are typically, it's not a first round rookie draft. It's simply just the guys that broke out late, you know, like, you know, you'll have Burrow and Edward Solaire available, but then all those other running backs that we talked about that are first round running backs this year, Dobbins, Akers, Swift, those guys have been owned for three or four years. Like they're not even able to pick CD Lamb, Jerry Judy, those guys have been long gone, uh, not even available in the rookie draft. So typically, you know, we're fighting over, you know, second and third round guys that you know we like and then a couple guys that just have the money are bidding on these guys that are the the remaining first round players um so it's like an arms race in that sense in those leagues which is also as it provides a strategy on things if you know you're going to be like one of these guys that is an in-between amount of dollars it makes it really hard because you're going to say well i've got more money um than six of these other teams but i can't even bid on burrow and Clyde edwards I can't even get in the ballpark. Uh, so now I've got all this money, and I'm going to be spending it on, like, nine third-round players that are being drafted. It, it's, it's, a, it's a different element. So you can either kick to the future, uh, try to trade some money to these guys, try to boost – I always try to, like, if, you, if I'm in that range, just try to help the guys that have a lot of money. Like, say, hey, man, there's more money. If you're like, this dude's going to outbid you on Burrow, uh, to have some more. Because uh, it's stuff you get caught in no man's land uh, between the amount of actual talent there is and the amount of – of, you know, cap, the cap dollars you have to spend. So it's, it's really tricky. And it, like I said, those leagues are super fun uh, to play in, uh, just different varying dynamics. Everyone's doing something different. Everyone's team's in a different place. 
Uh, I love those leagues, and um, I'm not even that good in them, but I love them. <laughs> Rich and I have been playing in those for a long time together, and the one, the one advice that Ryan always puts out, but he doesn't say it's for me, but I'll admit to it, is that the worst thing you can have is low money and everything. You might as well pitch all your Devi money for rookie or rookie for Devi and be competitive in some. Cause if yeah, you just, just take one. Yeah. Scraps, if you're picking your, if you're picking scraps on everything, it's rough. It's rough. I yep. was short stacked on uh, uh UFA auction recently in one of them, right. That's just ended. And everybody's going huge money on Deshaun Jackson, you know, because He's the last scrap to go, and you're just like, come on, you know. But anyway, so Reese has a few more, few more questions, and let me steal his one because I think I know this answer. What was your biggest breakout analytics? Like, where, what was the one that put Rich Rebar on the map, said this guy is for real in the analytics community? I don't know which one made it for real. Obviously, the one I'm most popularly known for is the Konami Code. Uh being, you know, you still sell people on Sundays. If someone has a rushing touchdown, you'll tweet it, which is cool. I like, I get a big kick out of that. Uh, you know, that's, it's not even a heavy analytics-based piece either. It just kind of is highlighting that, like, hey, these guys are undervalued. Um, but, I mean, I'm actually not someone that, like, early on in my, you know, career, I thought about, like, you know, coming up with, like, the next big stat or trying to, you know, break ground uh, like a Mike Claywood. And then I just kind of realized that that wasn't my niche. I realized that I was a lot better at taking what we already had and making the stats that we have like, really useful and, and just trying to hone in on what's useful out of what we have uh, instead of trying to really, you know, it unlock some kind of skeleton key in a sense. Um, and I really gravitated away from that, you know, probably the last five or six years instead of trying to knock down the door of like, hey, this is going to be groundbreaking instead of just saying like, I'm going to make this as accurate as possible. And I've shifted towards, you know, that, that direction, um, you know, over the past several years, I always call myself more of like the DVD of analysts. Uh, you know, I came in like when VCRs were still popular. Uh, but now you've got all these guys doing, you know, like a lot of coding and R and they're doing a lot of different things um, where I'm not even there and doing that. So I got bypassed, you know, I had like a little run where I was definitely better and more advanced technology than the VCR, but uh, I had a short shelf life. It's all about interpreting. You're not quite beta, though, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but to me, it's there's so much data out there that we kind of get drowned. We kind of drown in it, right? And we have to figure out what we like. So, Reese, you have some more questions for uh, Mr. Rich. Based on your projections, who's your dark horse finish as running back one? Um, let's see, my dark horse. Let me see if I let me pull these up real fast. So I want to see because I definitely had a few guys that I definitely didn't rank as high uh, as their projection comes out. You know, uh, like so I guess dark horse. So we're looking at a guy that definitely can catch passes and like has scoring opportunity. And then you talk about team like you know share. Uh, um, so I mean, it, I guess it's not so much of a dark horse, but I would say Miles Sanders is probably that guy. It probably is the the best shot of like a guy that's going probably outside the top five. Just when you look at, you know, share of targets, uh, share of team touches, opportunities, is the offense good enough to get a guy to the RB1? Um, and then just in natural talent uh, as well. So, I mean, I would say him. Maybe, you know, a guy like Drake has a shot. Uh, are, you, are you looking for something better, even darker than that? I don't know. Uh, if you want me to go, like, super down the wall, like the guys I would stump for that I would want, like, a you know, a, a Swift or, like, someone like that. 
Um, that's probably in the lower range of outcomes, like a five percentile outcome. But yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, he's a but he's a guy that I do like getting. Uh, James Conner is probably another one of those guys. No one likes to draft him because he's been hurt uh, and misses time. But when you anytime he's played, he's operated an RB one production level. So if you just run into that hot stretch of where you know, hey, we can't, you're injury prone to you're not. That's always been a thing we've known in, in the fantasy community. Uh, if, you know, you play 16 games, you get Ben back. Their schedule's phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, we know the touchdown upside. Even last year when he was bad in that bad offense, he still had a little bit of touchdown upside that kind of floated him. Uh, so, I mean, I would say he's, he's even got a shot to be in there too. Well, Connor, whenever he gets 18 touches, averages 28.3 fantasy points per game. That's what we want. 28? 28. But yeah. Rich he, is like, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> and he averages like 17 and a half in games that he's been healthy. So he does have a lot of upside there. Yeah, we just need him to stay on the field. And uh, there's definitely concerns in this, you know, COVID season, especially, you know, you know what he's come back from in his life, you know, if, if there's an influence there. But, I mean, I think everyone's started to turn the corner a little bit. I'm more concerned about the – the real injury stance and the impact of this reduced off season could have on this season, not as much the COVID stuff, which absolutely is an, a, a concern and it only takes one thing to go wrong for that to become a full blown issue. But uh, you know, if the NFL is able to, you know, keep testing control and these things can keep trending positively, I'm looking at these, these hamstrings, these quads, these soft tissue injuries, man, because we've already seen it in the just a week and a half of camp. Uh, these guys are really, you know, they didn't have a full off season to prepare. And, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be thrust into a full season going full go uh, in two and a half weeks. And it's going to be really interesting to see if we have a spike uh, because the 2011 season, which also had a reduced, reduced off season, they played a full preseason had a, you know, a huge spike in, you know, conditioning based injuries. So fingers crossed. I mean, we're knocking on it that we don't see, uh, a lot of hamstrings and, and, you know, quads and, you know, our guys missing one to two weeks at a time or two to four weeks. Um, Cause those can be real killers depending where those one to two weeks, two to four weeks lie in your season, depending who it is. But if you had Dalvin cook last year, great season, if you drafted Dalvin cook, but you didn't get to use him in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry, you know, was great. The whole back half, not they didn't play week 16. If you got their fantasy championship. So, I mean, all that is just timing based, um, you know, if we're going to have these guys miss a few weeks and uh, where it falls your season out impacts your season. Uh, so, I mean, I hope that we don't see a real spike in those injuries, but it is something in the back corner of my mind that with uh, some hammies, something happened, something go wrong here. Oh, yeah. I will say <laughs> that I'm going to pile on you that rookie quarterbacks uh, like Tua and Herbert aren't going to see the field anytime early. And I mean, for the same reason, they didn't have rookie camp, they didn't have OTAs. And even you see it with uh, some of the wide receivers that were rookies like uh, Justin Jefferson. Him playing behind B.C. Johnson tells you enough that he's just not ready yet. You know what I mean? It's the talent difference should be apparent, don't you think? Yeah, I think in the case of Justin Jefferson, it's just the position they want him to play. So when they say he's backing up B.C. Johnson, it's more saying that, like, this is going to be our full-time slot receiver. So he's really behind, you know, B.C. Johnson. But he's going to play on three wide receiver sets. And you say, well, how many three wide receiver sets are they going to run? We know they didn't run many last year. Um, what's interesting about Justin Jefferson, though, is that in 2018 with Burrow, he actually won outside. He only ran 19% of his routes in the slot and was still really good. Uh, and showed he could win outside. But, I mean, you know, he's been kind of pigeonholed into this, like, big slot receiver coming into the NFL. Hopefully he can break out of it. Because a lot of people thought this about A.J. Brown last year. A lot of people forget that he would play big slot almost exclusively at Ole Miss. And then last year didn't play the slot at all for the Titans. 
you know, and uh, was hyper effective as well. So, I mean, if Justin Jefferson can maybe get some reps outside, show like a win out there, maybe we see that shift and him get some more snaps out there. But uh, I think it's more of them saying we want him to play his role in our offense out of, right out of the way, out of the gates. Uh, but we just don't know how many three wide receiver sets we're going to play. So <laughs> it does make Thielen to me worth more. That's just me. Oh, I love Thielen. Yeah. What do you got, Reese? Nothing. Nothing. You sure? All right. Here's a couple on his list that he didn't ask you. We talked a little bit about uh, analytics, sticky stats. What uh, if you could put your crystal ball on? You know, you could just be Carnac uh, and, and hold the envelope up. Mike Clay had average depth of target. That was a great breakthrough. Is there any mm-hmm. breakthroughs that you could see that maybe we're not addressing now? Uh, you know we have the data, maybe we're not looking at it through the right lens. Maybe is there something that maybe we're missing? I think depth of target is definitely, you know, obviously that was a, a pretty groundbreaking uh, thing just because we had, you know, for years, you know, you know, when you have wide receivers, everyone just thought of wide receivers as a wide receiver because they offer fantasy football. But, you know, you know, we just talked about Justin Jefferson as a guy that, uh, you know, there are three different wide receiver positions in an offense, typically in a base offense, they all do different things. They get used in a different capacity. Uh, and that was something that when Mike Clay kind of, you know, had depth of target, it really started to accentuate like the difference between these types of receivers. I definitely look at, you know, I wrote an article on, you know, the, the types of targets, you know, players get and just the impact of fantasy, you know, because obviously we've shifted to always wanting volume. Um, but, you know, volume isn't always the, the telltale answer because, like I said, like Mike did with ADOT, a target is not a target is not a target. They're all very different. I mean, a guy like Tyler Boyd, the reason he is un- he underperforms, you know, based on his raw target stances is the types of targets he gets. He doesn't get vertical targets. He doesn't get end zone targets. Those are what hold fantasy weight. But in the flip side, you see a guy like Kenny Galladay, a Tyler Lockett, uh, these guys that are never going to be projectable to get 135, 140 targets just in the offense and the climate they're in. But the types of targets they get um, make up for the volume loss. They concede to these other guys that, that get 140 targets. So, I mean, just definitely, a, you know, a further understanding of what, you know, types of targets hold weight and can really, you know, break through that, you know, usage barrier of like, well, I only want this player because he's going to get 140 targets. I'm going to chase the targets first. Well, if there are 140 targets and targets that don't matter, uh, you know, then that just means you're solely propped up on the volume. And if that volume were to, you know, have some fragility to it, then you're stuck. The bottom falls out. And that's how those players end up busting out um, in a typical season. Uh, yards per team target is something that, you know, is just starting to get used, but uh, is a really sticky stat and really predictable to – it's actually more predictable to next season's targets uh, for tight ends and wide receivers than actual targets are. And it's actually more predictable for fantasy points per game than targets are. Um, so, I mean, you look at some guys that, you know, were really, you know, hyper-efficient in that regard. I mean, that are probably discounted, like a guy like Cortland Sutton, um, who's another one of those guys that we discount and you might – you can poke some holes into why you would be depressed on him. But the types of targets he gets are ones that matter uh, for fantasy. Well, he's kind of like an arbitrage on Kenny Galladay in a sense, uh, how he's used and where he goes in fantasy drafts. Um, so, yeah, just some stuff like that. Uh, that things to go. But like I said, I've really kind of shifted away from not trying to uncover – uh, that stuff and just make the things, uh, you know, that we have at our disposal, uh, really hone in on the accuracy of those and which ones we can use more effectively um, and use to our better, you know, understanding of what they are instead of just saying, like I said, we know we want volume, but why? So what kind of volume do we want? Uh, what kind of targets do we want? Those types of things and adding context to the stats uh, that we already have available at our disposal. 
And so like Reese likes Russell Gage. I'm putting him on the spot, right? <laughs> Why do you like Russell Gage, Reese? Yeah, more red zone targets than Calvin Ridley. Cooper's gone. And the most pass-heavy pass offense, he's the wide receiver three, passing option four, and the passing option like two slash three, and Ridley hasn't stayed health, can't stay healthy for more than 13 games or so. Julio's 31, and Hurst has never been in been on the field for 16 games getting that much workload. So a 14-year-old says 31's old, Rich. I mean, I uh, <laughs> we were talking to Mark Ingram earlier, and I was laying out the case for, uh, you know, Mark Ingram being 31, and, uh, you know, I'm 38, and saying, like, you know, 31. It's like, what am I saying about myself right now? But, you know, there's definitely the context. You know, context matters. Uh, I think Gage is really good. If you're not a believer in Hayden Hurst, that's your hedge. So if you don't believe in Hayden Hurst, like Gage is the hedge Hurst or the, the hedge to Hurst. Uh, so if you're – because we know that, that team's going to drop back and throw a ton anytime Matt Ryan and Dirk Cutter and pair together. They have by far our hardest schedule in terms of opponents and forecasted wins. Uh, so you know they're going to be up against it, you know, and teams that are going to be better than them as well. Uh, like I said, game script's a driving force. Uh, we don't really know what the running back situation's going to be, especially if Gurley or miss time. We don't want to get back into that depth again uh, that we've seen, you know, play out last year. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's your – he's the thing. If you Like, I see a lot of people say, Hurst got too expensive. Well, it's really easy. If you don't like Hurst, then you take Gage, and he's the hedge. And he's cheap. And he's like a last-round pick almost, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so – but he's also worth a stash because he's got decent upside after not playing much at LSU. I also like Olamide Zacchaeus too, uh, the, the kid that they've got there. He was he had a nice profile coming out of school and actually played slot in college and was productive, had 90 catches his last year. Uh, but he looks to be kind of buried on the depth chart. But Gage didn't catch more than like 20, 24 balls at LSU. He didn't catch. Yeah, he was a he switched positions. He was a DB, right. changed positions. Uh, so him even to get this far, changing positions speaks a lot. To... Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, we could. This hour plus has flown by, so we're gonna let you go. But we want you back uh, whenever you we could fit it in in the next you know mid season time frame. Oh hopefully, sure. Hopefully you'll join us if your schedule permits, Rich and. I do enjoy playing in those kitchen sink leagues with you. Take it easy on me. Oh, come on now. We didn't even talk <laughs> in the kitchen sink very much, did we? <laughs> we hinted at it still, but, uh, yeah, those are great leagues. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will tell you what, what helped me was one year uh, in the Debbie leagues, I picked up Lawrence and Fields in three of those five. And so they're sitting on my, my taxi. And so, uh, we, you know, next time we might talk uh, some Debbie uh, – because there's contracts, there's a lot of strategy involved, and I always enjoy oh, that. Yeah. So, Rich, Absolutely. thanks for joining us, and uh, hope to have you on in the near future. Bye. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys.